you know? Let's just get on and banter a little bit. Even Dermot that. was the fucking goat, dude. I wish. How about if I just talk normal? There you go. Welcome to Blake Street Banter, where one of us knows what the word banter means. The other two are along for the ride. James, say hi. Hey. Kirk, what up? Hi. Um, we are coming in on a Monday afternoon. Happy President's Day. How do you celebrate President's Day? Uh, no. What do you even do on President's Day? How do you celebrate that? How does one celebrate that? Do you go put on like a George Washington wig and like, hey, <laughs> let's fucking go, America. Put on your flag swim trunks. <laughs> I think all it's just an excuse. Of, all I can think of is that dog with the, the wig on that says, pardon me. Or I beg your part. I don't know. It's a meme. It's a meme. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta show that on the video. No, I'll, I'll, uh, to... <laughs> I'll get the, I'll get the interns on it. Oh, all right. <laughs> Start using like, like the little cat filter here coming up. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So last time we came in, we recapped the Nolan trade right after we were talking about a cold stove. And to say the least, that the fan base is a little upset. Um, just is kind of a overstatement almost and it's been two weeks how do we how are we feeling right now after being able being on social media which is a dark toxic place just in general as Rockies fans how have we been able to get through these last two weeks uh yeah you just gotta turn it out or turn it off because it's it's a bit ridiculous fans are talking about boycotts and all that stuff while I totally sympathize with that. It would never, ever work. I mean, there's just too many pockets of the population that A, don't really care about baseball. So they're going to go to the games anyway, because it's an excuse to go outside and take their kids to the ballpark and um, go, you know, uh, go to the party deck, have a, have a pre-pitch first pitch beer, all of that stuff. Um, you know, man, Monford is correct in knowing the fan base that they're going to consume no matter what, which, yeah, that's the problem. But that's the same reason why a boycott would never work because you're never going to get fans on the same page. Right. If you think about the size of the Rockies fan base in Denver, across Colorado, across America, like to having everybody stop, I don't know. Your social media presence isn't that big. So I don't really see the point. Like I just got roasted online on, on the Reddit. I was like, yeah, I'm still going to watch. And dude, man goes, yeah, it's people like you. That's not going to allow, that's going to let Dick keep his job. I was like, shut the fuck up, man. Like, what are we doing? Like, I love baseball. I love the Rockies. Granted it's incompetent right now and I can still be mad about it, but this is my team, right? Like I'm here. I'm watching. Yeah, just real quick, like every single home game I've ever gone to, the Rockies do a fantastic job of like bringing out the community. I can't tell you how many Little League teams have walked across or around the warning track before the games, and they come from all over, Colorado, Wyoming, Nebraska. You think those little kids and parents aren't going to want to do that kind of stuff anymore? Of course they are. Right. Well, it just goes back to just the way – society is now it's a cancel culture and when people don't agree with something that um you know the way things are done they just want to cancel it out and just be done with it but as a i mean especially if, if you've been a fan of the rockies this whole time like you you go through the ups and downs like it's just a part of being a fan as much as i disagree with what 
some of the things they do, but they're my team and I'm still going to watch, you know, it's just going to be a rough couple of years. Like, you know, the Broncos were and the Nuggets were back before, you know, Melo got here and stuff like that. It's just the way it is. Yeah. And all of this BS that's happening, right? It can't take away those memories. Like remember sitting in the living room and saying, Hey, let's go to Rockies game. <laughs> all right, let's go. And we were gone for 24 hours and seeing two Rockies game buying rocks pile tickets. Um, we were there. Kurt James was hungover, but last time Kirk and I were at a game was when McMahon came and hit a walk-off and in Fernando and like those memories, Dexter Fowler's five stolen bases, rookie record, Game 163, like Purple Row. Like we have all those memories and that's why I'm still here. You can boycott. I am going to be that asshole that you're going to be mad at and I will support the Rockies from afar. I might not buy as much gear, but then again, I really don't. I've maybe spent, what, $200 over the last 10 years on stuff. Um, I will say I have debated buying my kids Rockies gear. I just, because I'm in that place, I haven't been able to click purchase yet, but it's still in my cart. But to say boycott and all this and just be completely upset is such a weird mentality. And it's never if there's a, if there's going to be change, it's never going to come from individuals like me and you just choosing not to watch right. anymore. Like that's right. just not how it's going to happen. I'm a big deal, but I'm not that big of a deal, right? <laughs> like, what are we doing? So I don't know. It's just it's been super dark on the social media. But you all do you. We'll do us. We won't get mad at you. Don't get mad at us, please. Um, so the Rockies are rocking. Um, see, Greg Bird, minor league contract, Aurora, Colorado native. I mean, you definitely saw that. Uh, coming back to Colorado after just not getting it figured out in the, in the Yankees. I remember drafting him in 2018 in my fantasy baseball draft, hoping for a breakout. Never saw it. And then literally two hours ago, they Rocky signed minor league deal to CJ Crone, who everybody wanted back in 2018 instead of Daniel Murphy, because dude's a beast, easily 30 home runs a season in Coors. And now we got both minor league contracts to, you know, muddle up the infield over at first base. Whenever Bradditch gets upset, I think he just like um, impulse buys first baseman's first baseman on minor league contracts. Like he's just feeling blue, so he sits down on his computer and he just sees what first baseman he can bring in to just constantly refreshing. <laughs> yeah. hey, Dick, can I do this? <laughs> yeah, it, it comes like I was mentioning to you guys off off recording. It, when we had Todd Helton, it always felt like you know at some point we're going to take this for granted and having an everyday day in day out regular first baseman that's going to give you solid play. It's uh, it's just been a revolving door ever since. And it kind of makes you wonder like what their plan is moving forward with that position. And now with third base as well, are we going to move Rymac over there or who's got, now we have two of the corner spots as just unknown, which are, you know, the heart and soul of your lineup on most teams. So I, it'll be really interesting moving forward what direction we go through if it's i don't know what, what are we going to do with the pieces we have left with blackman and story and stuff is it are we just going to get blown up yeah that's a whole another 20 minute conversation right um there's so many things i mean big man has to be the starter at third base coming in unless you bring in welker he bust out in spring training and all that but 
So first base, you know, the first base signings, we got Crone, Fuentes, Bird, who I imagine there's going to be a platoon type thing, but who do you see as the day one opening game starter at first base? I got to say Fuentes right now, just based off of how well he performed during the short season last year, um, whether he can carry that over in the spring training. I don't know. I think it's just going to be whoever who, whoever's hot. Uh, at the time is going to be uh, whoever's hot coming out of spring training. And then you might see a bl- platoon after that. I mean, it's anybody's guess. It's going to be a mess either way. Yeah. I think Fuentes earned that spot just from the way he played last year, but it, it is just going to come down to whoever's tearing it up in spring training. I think both of those positions are just going to be dependent on going with the hot hand as we showed how we handled the outfield situation as well with like Tapia and stuff like that. Um, you just kind of play the hot hand and, and go with it. But um, in like a normal season, I don't know how effective that's going to be long-term. Right. I, I mean, at this point, we're not competing at this point. It's what can we get for the most bang for a buck and, does CJ Chrome bust out and do we trade him? Uh, Greg Bird, vice versa. But I'm, I'm with you guys. I think we're in the Fuentes camp, right? He's our man. He's our dude. He's no longer the cousin. He is Fuentes, right? So I'm excited to see him. Hopefully he performs in that spring training. I really want to see him do his thing. Um, yeah. So last, last little thing before we get into our interview with the voice of the new Spokane Indians, uh, Michael, Michael Boyle. Who, who's the one guy that you are watching this season, like every at bat, every defensive play, every starting pitcher, like who's your go-to Rockies this year? Like we don't have Nato. I mean, take story out of the equation. Um, Cause we don't know how long he's going to have. And that's obviously everybody's answer, but who's the guy you're watching? Same that's as tough. every year for me is Brendan Rogers. Like, when are you going to show up and be the guy that we, we want you to be, you know, cause it seems like that is what we are banking on moving forward. So if he doesn't stay healthy and contribute at a high level, then there's not really a whole lot of future at the major league level. Um, beyond that, you're looking at like, what is Zach Veen doing, you know, at like 20 years old, yeah, the, Zach Veen was the first name that came to mind, but his ETA is probably 2023 at the earliest. At least it should be. We'll see what the front office does because they love to rush people up. But um, I'm going to say Tapia. I think he's he's kind of the most exciting guy to watch for me. I, I love his approach at the plate. You can always see the, the wheels spinning. He's got a gigantic dip in his mouth, and I don't know how he's not nauseous out there, but, you know, I'm going to enjoy watching him. <laughs> I Tapia Tapia is my number two, but being big B Raj stand accounts, right? It's it's got to be all eyes on him for me. He's shown a little bit of success. He's shown spurts, and like you said, Kirk, he is the future. He's he's what we're hoping that we can get onto, whether that's at second base or shortstop, all depending on how it all plays out. But B Raj is the one I am watching every at bat, every defensive highlight that I possibly can, and um, I'm super stoked about seeing him definitely being part of that lineup, being part of that plan this year. Like he's gotta be. Um, So he's my dude. Yeah. I I think, I think Rogers is basically the deciding factor of if we are going to get completely blown up 
or if this is going to be kind of a slower rebuild. Because if Rogers doesn't pan out, then we don't have anybody. Right. We're kind of grasping at straws, trying to find some kind of gold in the dirt way down below. That's a very good point. Fuck Kirk. You just made me sad. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we just got done, like I mentioned, talking to Mr. Boyle, the voice of the Spokane Indians. Um, dude has lots of, lots of stories, like Colorado native was that opening day for the Rockies. Um, really excited to, for you all to hear it. It was, it was fun. It was fun to be part of that. It's a small world. It's, um, you know, a guy goes all the way up to Spokane, but he's got all these Colorado ties. So it's pretty neat talked about the transition from the Rangers to the Rockies, how he's done it before, been around that ball game, and also just talks about being a dad. And no, again, interesting. Looking forward to you guys getting feedback from you all. Enjoyed the listen. Um, just introducing the Spokane Indians to the Colorado Rockies organization and fan base. So go ahead, listen. And um, if you haven't done so, subscribe, resubscribe, give us a five-star review, all that good stuff. And check out our new website, www.blakestreetbanter.com. New blogs up, looks pretty, a lot of purple. Um, go check it out also. Give us a shout out, give us a, any kind of share, love, whatever. Love you all. Blake Street Banter, one of us knows what the word banter means. The other two are just long for the ride. Go rock! Yeah, so thank you uh, again for doing this with us. We're just three guys that like talking Rockies and just decided to put it out there in the world, I guess. And we thought we'd reach out and really appreciate it. And we love baseball. We love stories. And with your 35 years, like, it's super cool that you're able and willing to do this with us. So thanks. No, no. Glad glad to do it. I uh, You're talking to a guy that was actually at the Rockies' first home game at Mile High Stadium in 1993. So... Wow, let's, that's awesome. Let's just start with that. Let's just go in and we'll do introductions later, I guess. Um, yeah. um, so what was that like? First game in, mile high, or in Rockies history? Yeah, it, it's funny because, you know, I, I moved to Colorado when I was 13 in the mid-70s. And, of course, there wasn't Major League Baseball in Denver then, but they had the Denver Bears. So I went and saw the Bears every summer. I still have my Bears hat as a matter of fact. And uh, I would say for years, uh, I would talk to people and say, I don't understand how Denver doesn't have major league baseball. Cause I'd go to July 4th games. There'd be 75, 76,000 people in the stands. And I'm going, there isn't another team in the major leagues that could draw like this. I said, how is there not major league baseball here? And finally, when the Rockies came along, I said, I'm making it a point, even though I was working in television in Boise at the time, I said, I'm going to be there. I said, I don't care what it takes. I'll be there. And sure enough, uh, I was up in the upper deck when Eric Young let off that game with a home run to left. And uh, the, the jolt of electricity in that stadium that day, I can't even begin to describe. I mean, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. And it was just so great to see Major League Baseball in Denver after all those years. And uh, I've, I've still followed them since then. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. The you mentioning the the brown or the bears in Denver. We had a local Denver guy, Matt Replinger, who's part of the MLB and stuff now. He was mentioning he was talking about all the Denver Bears and all the minor league baseballs, the Zephyrs, and how it was such a big deal back then. Just exactly like you said, and it's just it's great that Denver finally got that chance in '93, and here here you are 
it was, it was pretty cool doing research on you, um, seeing that you have ties to Colorado and the Rockies, like you've bounced around, like you've been in Phoenix, you've been up in Washington, but having that Colorado connection as we invite the Spokane Indians to um, the organization is pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's been great for me because uh, I've worked in the Rockies organization before. I was the voice of the Tri-City Dust Devils for four years from 07 to 10 and got to see some some great players go through there. Charlie Blackman probably being the biggest name when he came through in 08, uh, maybe next to Russell Wilson when he was there in 2010. But uh, it was it was fun working with the Rockies organization then. Uh, you know, the guys were great. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting back and working with some of them. In fact, this uh, workout outfit that I have here uh, was given to me by the trainer of the Dust Devils at that point, uh, Andy Stover, who now runs the spring training facility down in, in Arizona. So it's going to be good to, to get back and working with stoves again. So how'd you get into, into broadcasting and um, you ended up graduating from Colorado State, all of that good stuff, but what kind of gravitated you towards uh, doing that as a career? Well, it's, it's pretty much something I've wanted to do since I was a little kid. I mean, my father tells me stories of when I turned down the volume on games and call my own. And that was when I was in elementary school. So uh, I wrote papers in high school about how I wanted to be a play-by-play -play voice for a team one day. And so it took a lot of work. I mean, it wasn't like I got out of CSU and, you know, the doors opened up and I got a job immediately. Uh, I can remember it took me close to six months after I graduated from school to get my first job. And it wasn't even on air. It was working as a, a technician in a television studio in Boise at a CBS affiliate. So I was running audio and, and camera and learning to direct and, and that kind of stuff. But that was probably the best thing that happened to me, quite honestly, because I learned how everything worked behind the scenes. So I learned the technical aspect of everything. And I, I learned things that I didn't learn in college. I learned firsthand how the product is put together every day. So I was able to do everything behind the scenes, which made my ability to go in front of the microphone a lot easier. And I was a lot more confident about it too, because I knew if something went wrong, I could fix it. It wasn't like I could just, you know, like, like most people just can't do anything about it. Get an engineer, you know, I could actually go in and do it. So, uh, it was, it was a lot of work to get my first on-air job, um, which was in Lamar, Colorado, by the way. <laughs> At the mighty 920, 92 country, Kale Lamar. I was a disc jockey as well. Uh, country music, which I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a fan of at all. My wife loves it. I can't stand it. That's probably um, the only station that there was available down in Lamar at that time, yes, right? Yes, but the great thing about Lamar is... Uh, my best friend in high school had been the sports director there, Steve Anderson. He went on and became the voice of CSU for a number of years in the 90s. Steve called me and said, hey, I'm leaving to go to Garden City, Kansas. Uh, you interested? I said, absolutely. I said, a chance to come back to Colorado. And uh, I went down to Lamar and uh, it was a great experience. Uh, there was 18 high schools you had to cover plus the community college. So it gave me a ton of reps in the chair. Uh, one of my color commentators for a big Christmas tournament that Lamar High School held was Doug Brocale. Doug's from Lamar, and I got to know his family very well, so well that the night that Bill Buckner booted it in 86, I was in his living room when that happened. 
So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of ties that uh, go back to me for Lamar starting my radio days. That's, that's cool. Like I, again, just that connection is really cool. And then you obviously speak very fondly of that time in Lamar and what you have there and all the, the history you have with that. And then you, and then you made your way up to Spokane. You said you, the, the dust devils and stuff. I, I recognize that you replaced a hall of famer and Bob Robertson. Like what, what is that like? Um, I don't know much about, you know, the, the, this game of yours that you're playing, but replacing a hall of famer, it's gotta be a pretty big deal, right? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite imposing to be quite honest. Uh, you know, Bob made it easy for me. Uh, I had started, um, when I came to Spokane, I was doing television exclusively, but I kind of got my foot in the door by helping to back up Bob on Indians broadcast when he would go do Washington state games. Now, if you don't know, uh, Bob was the first full-time collegiate football announcer west of Kansas to be inducted into the college football hall of fame with the Schenkel award in 2004. The, the guy's a legend. And uh, he and his company, Brett Sports, of whom I work with the Chiefs, the hockey team, asked me if I'd help do some series while he was off doing Cougar games. I said, absolutely. So I would travel to, you know, great metropolises like Yakima, Washington and <laughs> Everett and do and do games for him. Uh, and he was just so nice about it. And he showed me some of the tricks that he had learned. I mean, he started doing baseball in 1949. He was also the last baseball announcer in America that simul, or not really simulcast, but, you know, um, recreated games. So he was the voice of AAA Tacoma, and he would not go on the road with them. He would do the games from his studio in downtown Tacoma, and he had all the carts and all the sound effects, crowd noise, hitting of the bat, big explosions of and, and booing sounds i mean and he would sit there and read this tape and this was in the early 90s i think he did it till 93 and he would sit there and read the tapes and just say okay the one two pitch foul ball you know and he would recreate in people's mind that was fouled off down the first baseline or down the third baseline he had no idea but he would just go along with it as he did it and so he really kind of got me thinking that you know, as much as I thought I knew radio could be to the imagination, he just kind of took it to another step for me. So he, he said that you can never be overly descriptive when you're doing radio. I mean, people may be just tuning in and you, they have no clue of what's going on. And it's your job to bring them into the moment and, and get them engaged and involved in the game. So uh, that, you know, is probably the biggest legacy he left for me, not to mention he was a great friend, you know, Bob passed away last year and, uh, you know, I still miss him. He was in the booth with me up until the 2018 season. So he was broadcasting games at the age of 88. And I would let him do the middle three innings. And he was still as on it as he was when he was 28. It was, uh, he was quite a, quite a gentleman and, and, and quite an influence on me. Well, that's really cool. That's yeah just the hall of fame piece. Like if you're recreating things from scratch, almost like pre COVID stuff, you see these guys doing television broadcasts from their homes, but you know, in a sense of what different way. Um, that's cool. That 
Oh, the stories, man. The stories. Oh, so, I got a million of them. I mean, I can <laughs> tell you stories about what what he went through, and I mean, he he was he was quite the guy as far as you know. He was a part owner in an NASL franchise, uh, the old Seattle Sounders. Uh, I mean, he he told me stories, and that was the best part that I missed the most is the stories prior to the games and after the games when we would go out and, and he would sit there and talk about his career in broadcasting. And, uh, you know, I just, I just hope I am able to do this job half the amount of time that he did. Yeah. So my question is what's the biggest tip that you got, that you got passed down from him, that you learned from him, that you incorporated uh, into your style? Boy, just, you know, if, if there's one, uh, description, I mean, he, there wasn't anything for me that was bigger than a Bob Robertson compliment. And there were times I would do broadcasts and we would get into commercial breaks and he says, you did a really good job with that. And I'm thinking, you know, this is a guy that's a hall of fame broadcaster telling me that I'm doing okay. Uh, the description, I mean, I would listen to him set the scene for a game and he had one of those great voices. He'd show, hello again, everyone, and welcome. And he would go into and say, it's a beautiful day. There's just puffy white clouds over left field with a brilliant blue sky. I mean, he would just go through everything. You know, the Indians in their white uniforms with red socks and red caps. And he just, he would describe everything. And, and, and people maybe say, well, that's kind of old school. But you know what? I think old school works. I think, I think in baseball particularly, old school works. I mean, there's a reason why guys like Vin Scully and Red Barber and Mel Allen and, you know, in, in minor league baseball, Bob Robertson are revered as they are because you always could see the game with them. They brought you in as a listener and you could say, Hey, this is what is going on. I can feel like I'm there. I think that's the greatest compliment you can get. And he really passed that along to me. Um, there were a number of other little things that, that he would pass along. Like there's a, my scorecard system is the same as his. I'd always had my own, but I kind of incorporated more to his because I found it was more efficient from a broadcasting perspective rather than just keeping score at a game. Uh, the way he introduced me to, I would have lineup on one side, roster on another, those, those clear fillers that you put in the notebooks. I'd never used those. I'd always pinned them up on the wall, like a lot of broadcasters do. And he said, no, he says, just have it in front of you right there. You can just flip it over and it's right there. Wow. Why didn't I think of that? I would have never thought of that. He kind of showed me all these little tricks of the trade, but I figured, you know what, this is a guy that's been doing it for almost 50 years. I'm going to listen to this guy because he's picked up and forgotten more about broadcasting than most guys will ever learn. So, uh, you know, those things probably are, are the biggest things that I, I took away from Bob. So I, I kind of wanted to get into like the the minor league side of things that you work with and kind of the different transition that you go through with uh, an entirely different major league team taking over a uh, minor league affiliate and what kind of that transition is like as as a broadcaster and having to learn. Um, just the different things that you have to learn, if you could kind of go over that a little bit with us, because I think from an outside perspective, it's kind of confusing as for a regular fan to be able to comprehend what's going on. 
That's a good question because uh, there is a lot of transition you go through. Fortunately, I've, I've been able to go through a few. I mean, I, I didn't even mention that, you know, I worked in Boise for a number of years. I was the host of a uh, and producer of a um, weekly half hour show for the Boise Hawks. So I dealt with California organization all the time. I, I dealt with the Angels quite a bit. And, and the fun thing for me about doing that aspect was uh, getting to meet all the roving instructors that would come through. And the Angels at that time had just a list of people. I mean, I remember Whitey Herzog sitting down with him for an interview, Bert Blylevin, Bobby Gritch. And Bobby Gritch for me was great. Growing up in Baltimore as a kid, I remember Bobby when he came up as an Oriole in the early 70s. So it was like a thrill for me. It was like 10-year-old Mike gets to interview one of his childhood heroes. Uh, so the Angels did things certain ways. And, you know, dealing with Tom Kochman, who's the most successful winningest manager in Northwest League history in Boise, was one dynamic I had to deal with. And then going to Tri-City and going with the Rockies organization, they did things as far as philosophy, philosophy completely different. People were different. So got you know to adjust with that. Going to Spokane with the Texas Rangers, different philosophy again. And, and so it, it kind of keeps you on your toes really. So for me, going back with the Rockies is kind of familiar territory. Now I haven't worked with the Rockies organization in 11 years. So there may have been some changes that have taken place as far as what they look at, what wanting their pitchers to do, what they want their hitters to do. I'm also now going to be dealing with a different level. Short season a was really a rookie level and an introduction for college guys to learn the pro game. Now I'm at high a level, much different, approach as far as what they're refining with these guys because they've already learned how to play the game at a professional level what are they refining what are they working with to get them to double a triple a and eventually the major leagues so there's a lot of relationships that you build there's a lot of times that i just wander my way into the clubhouse and i'll just sit down with guys if they're sitting in the dugouts before games, I'll go down and sit with them and just chat with them about, hey, how are things going? You know, what are you hoping for out of this particular individual? I love talking, pitching. Uh, I pitched when I was playing baseball uh, into high school. Um, I was a nice low 70s fastball guy. <laughs> so there wasn't a whole lot of major league future, but I had to use this to pitch and I always understood the game and I've been able to translate that in my discussions with coaches and managers and pitchers as far as what they do. Uh, that's my favorite part of the job, to be honest with you, is sitting down and just talking the game, thinking the game with these guys. Because for me, baseball is such a cerebral sport. I mean, for me, it's, it's cerebral as any other sport out there, along with maybe golf. I mean, you've got to think all the time. But the big thing with baseball is that when you get out on the field, you have to be thinking, but at the same time, you've got to be able to react to it's, it's a sport that you really have to balance the two and play naturally while using this. And you can tell guys that don't use this on the field and those that do. And it, that for me is the, the fun aspect of it is to learn how these guys think uh, behind the scenes. So that's, that's an adjustment 
that I go through with every organization. Uh, but as I said, this is going to be fairly easy compared to what I've had to do before because I've worked with a lot of these guys before. You Would you say you kind of prefer that, um, I guess, journeyman style of broadcasting where you, you're constantly having to kind of relearn things a little bit? Or I, I guess everybody kind of translates that into their own career where some people are more content with just day in, day out, same, same routine, same people. Um, but some people like to mix it up and constantly have a fresh vibe. So I was kind of curious where you sit with that. I, I prefer to mix it up. I mean, I think it keeps you sharper for one thing. Uh, and I like learning things. I'm, I've always been kind of inquisitive as far as, oh, how do things work? Why does this do what it does? You know, I was a big history guy in school. So I was a history major in addition to communications at CSU. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I found that I really like to inquire about things and learn new, new aspects of it. So <clears throat> as much as I love pitching, um, I like to talk hitting as well, even though I was bad at it, especially I couldn't hit a curveball to save my life. Uh, I'd like to learn how these guys think about getting better at their craft. I like to talk with coaches about how do they impart this information to 25 different guys who have 25 different ways of doing things and approaches to doing things and getting through to them. <clears throat> so there really isn't a cookie cutter formula for them. <clears throat> uh, I, like, I like being able to kind of mix it up. I mean, there, and I can understand routines important and, and kind of get into a flow. And I kind of do that in some respects, but in a lot of things, I'll try new things. I'll try different things. <clears throat> I mean, when I started with the Indians, you know, we had done the games a certain way for years. You know, Bob had done, you know, games a certain way for years. <clears throat> I went to the club my first year and I said, I've always wanted to broadcast a game from the seats. I'd watched Harry Carey do it on WGN back in the early 80s. And I said, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that with radio? Uh, and it took me about three, four years. And finally, I talked them into it. So we have a pavilion out in right field. There's an old rail car called the depot. That's kind of like a, a family corporate area that you know families and groups can go to <clears throat> so we built an area where I could set up a table we put in a line and we have a little tent out there to keep me from the elements generally the sun beating down on the equipment and I call the games from right over the right field wall we have a short porch out there so it's only about five feet high so my table I'm like right on the wall right out in right field with a perfect view. And we started that, oh, that was back about 2015, I guess. So we've been doing it, you know, four or five years now. It's become so successful. It's sponsored and we do it every Sunday home game. So I go out into right field and I call the game amongst the fans every Sunday. And, you know, that's, you know, that's out of routine. And so, you know, I have to pack up all the equipment after a Saturday game, take it down there, you know, set it all up for Sunday, tear it all down, get back and, and set it up for Monday. But it's fun. 
I mean, and baseball is meant to be fun and the fans love it. Like they get a chance to come up and say hi and, and, and do whatever during the game. And, you know, it kind of lends a little bit of a, a different perspective. And I'm sure we're not the only ones to do it, but I'm sure we're one of the few that do that in the country. So speaking of routine and, and getting it kind of broken up, do you remember where you were when you heard that the season was going to be shut down? And do you know what the future plans are to try to get back on track or uh, oh, somewhat back to normal as we can here? It's funny. I, it was last March 10th. I did a Chiefs game at the arena here. It was a night where the, our goaltender scored the last goal of the game. And it went nationwide all over Canada. And we had won 10 games in a row. We were on a roll. I'm thinking, hey, we're going to really make a big playoff run. <clears throat> then Rudy Gobert the next night comes down with COVID during a game. And the next night they postpone the season. It's like everything shut down. <clears throat> I remember telling my wife right here in this kitchen, I said, no big deal. You know, they're just going to get through this. I said, by June, we'll be back. Indians will be playing again. And we'll be able to get back to somewhat normal that was that's why i don't prognosticate or predict the future because <laughs> here we are in mid-february and we still haven't uh played uh yeah i can i can remember when baseball uh when the season got banged there because i i could see it coming because I figured once we'd gotten into Memorial Day, I said, it's not happening. I mean, they've got to have guys to be able to get together and prepare. And I said, it's just not going to happen. And so when the season kind of got thrown to the side, I, I got to thinking, oh, okay, they'll maybe get things underway in the winter for hockey. Well, that hasn't panned out either. They now have a start date in our league of March 19th. So you know, it's been over a year like with, uh, with baseball. I'm looking forward to when, when baseball is back. Because for me, the past season, the 60-game season and, and everything they did, didn't really feel like a season to me. It felt more like spring training. And it's great they were able to award the World Series. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, to me, when they start up in April, will be like, okay, we're going to start to get back. To, to baseball again. And I'm looking forward to getting fans in the stands. Um, even if it's 25% capacity, which is what it would be the case in Washington right now, even if it gets to 50%, I mean, just having fans there to interact with the players, the players will love it. I will love it. It, it just will be a nice sign of getting back to normal. So can we go back real quick and can you, are you going to go on record and say the Los Angeles Dodgers world series doesn't count? Well, it counts, <laughs> but I mean, it, but to me, it was just like, you know, it's, you can make a case for the Stanley cup as well. It's just like, you know, all the guys are in the same town and playing the same games. I mean, years from now, people are not going to look at it and say, Oh, put an asterisk by it. Like Maris's record. But I think you're going to find that, people that do remember are going to go, well, you know, Hey, it's great. They were the best of the short season. That's still what it comes down to. So, you know, the Dodgers didn't have a chance to fold because they played in a short enough season that they didn't have a chance to fold once October came around. That's just my perspective anyway. Well, I think the fans have always been an X factor in games and then you remove that completely. And it's like watching the Marlins home game every, every game. And, 
you know, you, you sympathize with what that fan base kind of goes through, but it's just not quite the same. That's for sure. No doubt. And, and fans do make a difference. I think you're seeing that. I watch college basketball an awful lot. And for me, there are teams that are winning on the road right now where they're saying, Oh, you know, this is so-and-so's third home loss in three years. I'm going, there's no one in the stands. They, there is no influence on this game now. So it's kind of even the bar as far as, you know, if you're the better team, the chances are very good. You're going to win. I mean, there's, there's, there's no fans that are going to help sway that outcome at all, which I think is one of the great things of sports. It really does test you as an athlete and as a team to overcome those obstacles. They don't have that now. So I think if you're the best team out there, this is your best shot to win it. Going back to the Dodgers, perfect example for me. I, I think they're a club that if you put them in a, you know, really high adversarial situation, maybe they crack. They've shown that in the past. This year, they didn't have to deal with any of that. And it was short enough that, you know, they went right through. Tampa Bay Lightning, another example, swept out of the playoffs for the year before. They get in a situation, there's no fans, and it's a balanced playing field. They're the better team. I mean, they, they, they truly are. So I'm looking forward to getting that back in sports, because I think you really are a true champion if you can overcome those kind of things and not just go out there with your talent and win. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think you just made a lot of Rockies fans that will hopefully listen to this and happy with you saying, I think they would have cr crumbled or had the <laughs> opportunity to crumble. I know I got a little giddy inside with that. Um, so give us a little bit of history about the Spokane Indians. Like you guys are the new kid on the block, um, the new affiliates, like you said, the minor league changes and all that. Um, we lost the Lancaster Jethawks who have been part of our organization, you know, for the last five or six years. And you guys are kind of taking that role. So give us an introduction to the Indians um, and just what baseball has been like up there um, all this time. Well, base, baseball is a very, uh, rich history here in Spokane. I mean, the Indians have been around since the turn of the 20th century and uh, a very rich history with the Dodgers, if you can believe that. Uh, they were the AAA affiliate from 58 to 72 in the Pacific Coast League. And the 1970 Spokane Indians Club is considered almost unanimously by a lot of baseball experts as the greatest minor league team of the 20th century. And when you look back at that club, you can see why they were managed by Tommy Lasorda. They had 13 players that ended up playing in the major leagues 10 years or more. That's crazy. I see, I see um, the Spokane Indians Twitter. They kind of have like a daily reminder of this was a player or coach that was on air, just right on par with what you're saying right now. It's yeah. Cool. I mean, you can, you can go through, you know, those, those Dodger years and, and the, and the greatness that they had uh, Indians were a long a team up until 82 and they went in the Northwest league as a short season club. And they had been that way up until the reorganization of the minors this year, uh, very successful franchise in the minor leagues. Uh, they are always one of the top two drawing uh, short a teams in, in the country year in and year out, they average, you know, close to 5,100 fans a game in short season. Uh, obviously that's going to change with the long season. 
because uh, weather here in, in April and into May can be a little dicey. So I would imagine uh, the, the rest of the Northwest is going to, you know, find some adjustments with that because you're talking Everett and Vancouver over on what we call the West side uh, beyond the Cascades, There's a lot of rain. And so Everett put in an all sports turf here about three years ago, which has really helped their situation as far as not having games rained out. Vancouver, though, still fat, old fashioned grass and, and the tarp and hope for the best. Uh, you know, Eugene is, is turf because they play at the University of Oregon facility. So not too bad there. Hillsboro in, in outside Portland, they have turf as well. So uh, the rain that they would get at that time of year, they should be able to, to absorb it pretty well. Tri-City doesn't get as much precipitation because it's in a desert. So that's not going to really be a concern as far as uh, April and May is for them. But for Spokane, uh, it's going to be an adjustment for the fans to go back to full season baseball because they haven't done it in close to 40 years. Uh, but I, th I think they will. I, you know, the, there's definitely going to be those three to 4,000 diehards that are going to be there every game, no matter what. But I think people are excited to see a higher level brand of baseball as well. And in a short season A, it's a lot of guys that this is just amazing to me. I'm going to go off track here for a second. That guys can play baseball through little league, high school, and college and come into a professional level and look like they're back in little league again. I mean, as far as up here is concerned, it's almost like they have to relearn how to play the game when they were 10 years old again. And there are nights, I did a game in Tri-City when they were Rockies affiliate in 08, where Jordan Pacheco, who went on and played in the major leagues, set the um, 2008, he set the record for most pass, ball, pass balls in a game with seven. Seven. Five of those came in one inning. <laughs> Everett scored eight runs on one hit. <laughs> That's between, between the walks and the pass balls and the wild pitches. It, I still have that scorecard, and I still can't believe that it, that it occurred. But that's what you see at that level of baseball. But uh, This level that we're going to be going to, to higher A, these are guys that the organization feels have a track to get to the major leagues. So the level of play is going to be much higher, I think more fun for fans and kind of give them a, a, an aspect and uh, sense that, you know what, instead of maybe two guys off of this team having a chance to go to the major leagues, we maybe got eight guys now that have a chance at going. And I think that uh, will engage fans quite a bit. From your, from your experience, why do you think that is where, people kind of lose that mental aspect of the game when they first get there. Is that just strictly nerves? I, I think some of it is. Um, I know in Spokane, I've talked to a number of players over the years where they go, this is the most fans I've ever played in front of. Like a lot of them come from smaller schools, you know, high school, you certainly maybe see a couple hundred at, at an average game. You know, you come from a small college, maybe three, 400 tops that you ever see you know all of a sudden you come out to five thousand, and that's not talking about the kids that come from the caribbean if they're from the dominican or from down in south america how many fans have they ever played in front of well they've come from the spring training complex where there's seven scouts with guns there's no fans and all of a sudden you're throwing them into five thousand fans they're like 
you know, what have I been thrown into here? So, yeah, I think nerves play a part, a part in it. Um, you know, I, I also think that there's a lot thrown at those guys too. I mean, you're talking in a course of a 76 game schedule, they've come off college seasons and an awful lot of them. And now they're being told, okay, this that you've learned over the last four years, flush it. That's not the way you need to do things to get to a major league level. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, I've got to relearn how to hit the opposite way. I've got to relearn how to my footwork when I'm turning a double play, you know, there's a lot going on and you don't get a lot of time to really work on it because you're playing every single night. I mean, you're playing 76 games and 79 nights. The only place you're learning is in front of 5,000 people a night in Spokane. So that's a tough, tough learning ground, but I think it also really prepares guys for the next level. And I know the Rangers had a lot of success with bringing guys through Spokane and taking them to a major league level. I, I think in 03, when they started until, you know, through the 19 season, there were over 80 guys that had come through that made the major leagues. And there's a number of guys, not just in the Texas organization, but guys that had been dealt from Texas that went on. And I can cite Kyle Hendricks as a prime example, came through in 2011. And I can tell you, this is one of my prognostications that came true. I told people, I said, this guy's going to throw in the major leagues. And people are going, well, he doesn't throw hard. I said, yeah, but he uses this. Dartmouth grad. I said, he uses this. I said, he can set up things. He's got a major league changeup. He'll be in the major leagues. Well, he went on along with CJ Edwards, Carl Edwards, who came through in 2012, helped the Cubs to a World Series in 2016. So there's a number of those guys that, that you see make it to the majors that don't necessarily make it with the parent club, but they were prepared by the kind of training that they got in that type of atmosphere in Spokane. Yeah, there's something to say about that minor league grind. If you can make it through that, like, like you said, those quick transitions constantly over and over and over. If you can make it through that, you're going to be mentally tough to make it to that big leagues. And once you're there, hopefully you've had that time to get it figured out. Right. So yeah. I think what you said is spot on. Um, we'll end it with this. Um, so we talked to Jeff Dooley, the voice of the yard goats, um, a few about a month or so ago. And he told us his favorite moment as a broadcaster was when Michael Kadire um, unknowingly saved a life. Like he hit a walk off home run, which made somebody miss a flight for the September 11th. Really cool story. Um, I'm not saying you need to match that or beat that. I'm just curious. Uh, what is your, what is like your best broadcast memory moment, whether it's a call or anything? You know, it's, it's, it's tough to say. Um, going back through all of them, boy, my first year in Spokane, Ruben Sierra Jr., um, his dad, obviously a great player at the major leagues for a number of years. We had a, a giveaway one night and that's the one thing when you're a broadcaster at the minor league level, you've got sponsors coming in the door all the time and talking about their promotion. Well, there was a local Ford dealership that was giving away an F-150 pickup if an Indian hit a grand slam home run. Well, we were playing Eugene that night. We went into extras not even close to a situation, but it comes to the bottom of the 11th and the bases are loaded and who comes to the plate, but Ruben Sierra Jr. And Ruben had been struggling. I mean, 
he was nothing like his dad at the plate. <laughs> and he comes up and he goes oppo on a shot to left field. And I can remember coming out of my chair as this ball was going and the left fielder's going back to the wall. And I, that's the longest I've held a gone in my life. And the place went bananas, especially this one lady who won a pickup truck. She was dancing all over the, the concourse. And the, the electricity in that field that night was unmatched. I mean, it's been 10 years and I can still remember it as well as I can that it happened yesterday. So I, I'd say that that probably, you know, would be right at the top as far as what my call would have been. Uh, but I mean, there's been a number of, of teams that have come through and, you know, the Indians have been fortunate. They went to the playoffs five times out of six years, played for the league title. Um, I know I'm one of the very few, if maybe the only person to have ever called a championship balk off, which I did in 2018 when uh, we balked home the winning run for Eugene and they won the league title. <laughs> um, Emmanuel Class A, who's now throwing in the major leagues. He was the pitcher that night and he, he balked home the winning run in the ninth inning. And I, that I still sticks with me to this day where I can remember it, where I'm just sitting there going, okay. And the one, two, and he just balked. That's exactly how I said it. And he just balked. I, I knew exactly what had just happened. And, and all of a sudden everyone's kind of looking at each other going like, is this over? Is it done? I mean, literally, it was the most delayed championship celebration I've ever seen. I mean, the guys from Eugene really didn't know that they had won. And then the manager, Kenny Holmberg, came out and talked. And sure enough, in about two, three minutes, it was like, oh, you know, we won the title. And yeah, the, the, those moments kind of stick with you as a broadcaster. I, I could see it and hear your disbelief even oh. as you're telling the story. And then the lady went in the truck. That's that's still a life-changing call. That's a big moment. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Grand slam, walk off. Like, I mean, that's good. That's cool. I Again, I appreciate you coming on, spending this time with us, and getting, letting us get to know Spokane a little bit. Um, definitely gonna look forward to tuning into a few games um, here this offseason or this coming season and ready to go. So thanks uh, again, no, Mike. No one readier than I am. Looking forward <laughs> to it, guys, and uh, look forward to talking with you again. I appreciate Sounds it. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. You bet. Thank you. Stay safe out there. Yeah, for Early sure. We'll try. <laughs> Thank you for watching. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple's Podcast, or Google Podcast by looking up Blake Street Banter. Thank you. Definitely. I met him at a Dave and Buster's once. And he was just playing the fucking the wheel game where the light goes around. You have to hit it at the right time. And he was just like, just nailing it over and over and over and over and over <laughs> again. And his wife was just collecting tickets the whole time. <laughs> I'm just like, that's, that's crazy that like, this shit's just easy as fuck for him because of how quick his reaction time is, you know? Yeah, seriously.